It's good to be back, and uh, I'm getting to finish off a series that um, we've entitled Identity Theft. Uh, it's been going on for the last five, six weeks, and uh, if you wanted to catch up on uh, any of the uh, sermons that you've missed over the last few weeks, you can actually go onto our website at connectwashington.org, and you can uh, hear where we've been that's brought us up to this morning. But just to kind of set the scene for this topic, you know, when I think of identity theft, I think of lots of different things. That commercial there uh, makes us think about the, the danger of having your credit stolen or having your identity stolen that way. But when I think of identity theft, I go back to a guy by the name of Frank Abagnale, okay? Now, I'm not sure if you have heard him by name, but you'll definitely have heard of him if you've seen that movie, Catch Me If You Can, because the movie is based on the true, the real life of this particular gentleman. And uh, he was um, basically a very famous thief. He was a con artist, and uh, he was just uh, very well known for stealing identities and, and having his way. So he started out by um, making counterfeit checks and cashing them and uh, building up money that way. And then he was able to obtain um, a, a pilot's uniform from Pan Am, and uh, he posed as a pilot, a Pan Am pilot. Fortunately, he didn't fly any planes, but he was able to get onto planes dressed as a pilot. He would sit in the cockpit, and he would travel throughout the world under this false identity. If you've seen the movie, you'll know that Leonardo DiCaprio plays him, and that eventually, at the end of the movie, he's captured, and he is put in prison for his crimes, but amazingly, when he's finally released from prisons, he's, the, he's then employed by the government and by security agencies, because um, they realize this guy's got quite a gift at stealing identities and doing things wrong, and they're like, hey, we could tap into this and help prevent this happening in the future because this guy is a bit of an expert, and he was. You know, I read um, a little bit about him this week, and I found out that one of his cons that he did, one of his schemes that he did, and I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to share this because I don't give any ideas, but when he was in his pilot's phase, he noticed one day at the airport that there was a security drop box, and every day the airlines and the rental car companies, they would go by this drop box, and they would drop in just a, basically a zip-up bag full of cash. And then this drop box would fill as the day went on. And then the, um, later on in the evening, a security truck, an armored truck would come by and it would empty the drop box and take the cash to the bank. Well, he saw this happen and, and he had this idea. He went to a costume shop and he rented a security guard's outfit. Um, he made a sign that said, drop box out of order, please give bag to security guards. And he put the, the sign on the drop box and then he stood over by the gate and he said, in the course of just several hours, multiple airlines and rental car agencies just pulled up, didn't question the sign at all, rolled up and just gave him a large bag of cash. And just amazing to think the way this guy's mind worked. But uh, he was, at the very heart, an identity thief. He stole the identities of others and, um, and did harm. And, and in this series, we're not talking about the criminal aspect of identity theft. We're talking about the fact that actually we as individuals are in danger of having our identity stolen from us. Because you see, I believe that God created every single one of us. I believe he created us with purpose and with a plan for our lives, and he has an incredible um, destiny for every one of us, an identity that we can step into, but we're in danger of having that stolen from us. Because you know, at times our identity can be warped, can't it, very often um, by what people think of us. 
We tend to listen to people who might say, oh, he's a great person, or I don't like him much, or she's wonderful, or she's not so good. And and that influences our identity. We, We sometimes see ourselves through the eyes of others. Then we see ourselves through the eyes of ourselves as well. Sometimes we hear someone say, oh, he's a really great person. And and we find ourselves thinking, well, if you really knew, if you knew the kind of stuff that I I think about, if you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't be saying that. Or the the flip could happen. You could hear someone saying, oh, that person's really not very nice. They're kind of bitter or they're kind of mean. But you would think, you know, if you knew me, if you only knew what I've been through in my life, you would know that, that, that this, is, you know, this is who I am and this is why I am who I am. So our identity sometimes is, is fashioned by what others think of us and, and very often our identity is fashioned by who we see in the mirror, the, the, the version of us that only we really know about. But, but I want to say that in this series we're talking about the idea that there is a third view on who we are and that is who God made us to be. And I really believe, as we've worked through this series, that the idea is that we have this amazing identity that God has given us. And if we this morning are followers of Jesus, then we can step into that that identity. We can become everything and everyone that God made us to be. But sometimes we don't. And maybe you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, and maybe you've not discovered the true identity of who God made you to be. Maybe it's because you weren't fully aware of it. As we've talked in this series, your eyes have been opened a little bit to to God's plan for your life. Maybe you're fully aware of who you should be, but you're just not ready to make that full commitment. There's just part of you that wants to to hold back. But for whatever reason, we've been talking about this idea of, of who we are and who our identity is. And we've actually been doing it through the lens of um, a man in the Bible, a very famous person by the name of Joseph. We've been looking at his life. And um, if you're familiar with the story, there's the the picture of Joseph from Joseph, the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's uh, that's Donny Osmond. I'm not sure how much Joseph really looks like Donny Osmond, but for the sake of you just to kind of track with me this morning, there you go. That'll, That'll be our Joseph for this morning. But Joseph understood that as somebody who um, was a follower of God, somebody who was a descendant of Abraham, he had an identity that he wanted to stay true to. You know, there was a guy in the, the New Testament by the name of Paul. And Paul really understood what it was like for, for, to discover God's true identity for himself. You see, Paul was, was a bad person. He actually went by the name of Saul. And under the name Saul, he was, he was famous for persecuting Christians and, and having them arrested and even at times having them killed just for their faith. And one day we read that Saul encounters Jesus on the road to a city called Damascus. He, Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me? And it changes Paul's life and Paul goes from being Saul to Paul and and instead of persecuting and, and and killing Christians, he goes to somebody who's proclaiming the name of Jesus. That's why Paul understands what it's like to have a new identity. He says when writing to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I've discovered this. I discovered Jesus. And I am new. I am different. I am changed. I am, you may have heard this phrase before, born again. This is a different me. 
And we all have the opportunity to step into that identity. So to help you kind of frame that and and see what that looks like and how that can play out in your life, we've been looking at this gentleman by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph's life is incredible. This is the Joseph that lived a long time ago in the Old Testament. He was snatched from his homeland. His family threw him into slavery. He ends up in this foreign land with foreign traditions, but we discover that he refused to let it steal his identity of who he was as a descendant of Abraham, as a follower of God. You see, Joseph understood that he was called to bless the world. And he knew that to bless the world, you've got to be different than the rest of the world. Joseph understood that if you want to bless the world, you've got to be different than the rest of the world. And thousands of years later, I think the same is true for us as we try to find our true identity as Christ followers. That our prayer this morning should be, God, help me to begin to bless the world by being different than the rest of the world. Help me to discover the identity that you have for me. So let's recap this morning. I want to I finish out this series by looking at one last event that happened in the life of Joseph. But let me bring you right up to that event here real quick. So we know that Joseph is this guy in the Old Testament. He lived centuries before the birth of Christ. He was the great grandson of Abraham. Abraham was the one who God said to him that he would bless him and that his descendants, Abraham's descendants, would be blessed through, throughout the world. And that the world will be blessed through them. Joseph is one of Abraham's descendants. And believe it or not, despite this great blessing upon their tribe and upon their name, you wouldn't believe it when you looked at Joseph's family. They didn't really look like a group of people that were out to change the world. In fact, they're pretty dysfunctional. You've got Joseph, who's the 11th of 12 sons. He was spoiled rotten. His dad gave him things that he didn't give any of his other brothers. This led to a lot of jealousy and animosity amongst the rest of the brothers. So much so that rather than just feelings, they decided to act on these feelings. And one day we learned that his brothers decided they're going to kill him. And at the last minute, instead of killing him, they throw him into a pit instead and, and sell him as a slave to a bunch of slave traders that are on their way to Egypt. So Joseph finds himself as a slave in this foreign land. His brothers went back and told his dad that he'd been killed by a wild animal. So dad thinks he's dead and gone. And here he finds himself. And and suddenly he discovers that God is still with him because he he finds himself in this, this household of a gentleman by the name of Potiphar. And he's a slave there, but he actually um, earns favor with Potiphar and becomes the, the head of Potiphar's household. And then at the peak, he's then accused of a crime that he didn't commit, and he finds himself in prison. And even after years in prison, we can read in Genesis that tells us the story of the life of Joseph that God was still with him. And from a prison cell, he's able to to give an interpretation to some dreams of some fellow inmates. You see, God had had given Joseph this this gift, you know, that he could pray and say, God, what do these dreams mean? He was able to interpret these dreams. So so when Pharaoh himself was having a dream that no one else could understand, this guy, he remembered Joseph. He said, there is this one guy who might be able to help. And Joseph is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And because of that, he saves Egypt and much of the world from starving during a famine. 
Eventually, his brothers, the, the family gets so bad that his brothers from that far off land, they come to Egypt to find food because their family is starving. And they find themselves in front of Joseph. This crazy turn of events brings the brothers in front of Joseph and they don't recognize him. They don't recognize their younger brother. So many years have passed, they're assuming that probably by now he's dead. But he's living in Egypt, living in the palace. And because they don't recognize him, Joseph takes advantage of the situation. He harasses them. He accuses them of being spies and he throws them into a prison. Just a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, Josh did a great job of talking about that particular moment. He talked about the idea that in life, we can either be overcome by the situation we find ourselves in, or we can be overcomers. We don't get to choose our circumstances, do we? But we do get to choose how we will handle them. Josh spoke about how initially Joseph was overcome. When he had them thrown into prison, it was out of anger. But eventually, he chose to be an overcomer instead. Joseph recognized that this was his true identity as a follower of God, to be an overcomer and not to be overcome. So even though he had his brothers thrown in prison, he decides to let them out. After three days, he brings them in front of him, and he he lets them all out except for the youngest son, the youngest of the ten that are there. He says, I want you to go back to your father. I want you to bring your youngest brother who you didn't bring. And if you, don't, if you don't come back and you don't bring him, I will think you are lying and you will pay the price. And we read in Genesis that the brothers huddle up and they start speaking in their native tongue and they don't realize that Joseph, just a few feet away, understands every word they're saying. I used to live in uh, Lake Zurich. It's a northwest suburb of Chicago. And I had a friend lived up there. His name was Dave. And he was a youth pastor of a church up in that area. And we would get together and have meals sometimes. And Dave was a, um, a white, American, red-headed guy. I mean, you couldn't get more um, white and American-looking than Dave. But Dave had grown up as a, a missionary traveling to Mexico many times throughout his life. While traveling to Mexico, he learned the language um, very well. And in fact, while he was there, he actually met and married a young lady from Mexico. And she came back to live with him, and the pair of them continued to travel down to Mexico and do a lot of missions work. So believe it or not, Dave spoke fluent Spanish. So he says, sometimes we'd be sat there, and uh, we'd be eating meals, and he'd tell me stories about how he'd be at a restaurant. And very often, the busboys at a lot of the restaurants in that area were, um, were Mexican. Some of the waiters were Mexican. And he said, very often, I'd be sitting here eating a meal, and these guys would be clearing the table, and they'd be talking to one another in Spanish. And they don't realize that I understand every word they're saying. So they don't realize that when they're saying some pretty derogatory things about me or the people at the table, I know what they're saying. He says, so I have a lot of fun with this because sometimes they'll be just talking away and not have a clue that, that I, and, and I'll just say, hey guys, how's it going? But in, in Spanish, blah, blah, blah. I, I can't speak Spanish, so that's uh, all you're going to get. But, but he'll say to them in fluent Spanish, hey guys, how's it going? And he says, there's this look of shock in their face when they suddenly realize this red-headed white guy speaks fluent Spanish just the way they speak it. And then he says, what's great, you can see them in their minds backtracking thinking, what else did we say? <laughs> what have we said here that might get us in trouble? That's what's going on in this moment. Joseph's brothers are over here, and they are, they're speaking in their native tongue, fully unaware that this, this Egyptian, so they think, is understanding every word they say. 
And as Joseph hears this conversation, something amazing happens. Because he hears them talking. He hears his oldest brother start laying into the others for what they did to Joseph years ago. And he hears them say, you know what? This is why we're here. This is why we're in trouble. This is why all this is happening. Because of what we did to Joseph all those years ago. And Joseph hears this. And Joseph understands this. And then something incredible happens. We read that as his brothers are talking amongst themselves, in Genesis it tells us that Joseph turns away and breaks down crying. He actually had to leave his room, he was, the room, because he was so overcome by emotion. Do you know, I think in that moment he thought maybe the pain was gone. Maybe um, after all these years, he was finally over it. But it turns out that when they start speaking in their native language, it all comes back. That's so often the way, isn't it, with those deep personal wounds. We find ways to, to hit the mute button or to bury the pain deep down. And then something happens. Something happens just to trigger a memory. And, and all of a sudden, it can all come surging back. And that's exactly what Joseph experienced in this moment. So overcome by emotion, Joseph is able to pull himself together and he comes before his brothers finally and reveals to them who he is. He says, I am your brother Joseph. And here's the amazing part of the life of Joseph. Instead of retaliating like they were so sure he would, Joseph reconciles with his brothers. Though he was the one who was wronged, he was the one that got sold down the river, look at what Joseph says to them. He said, don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God has sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that you will become a great nation. In that moment when Joseph says that, I think we see this, this, this final metamorphosis take place that Joseph has grown from being that spoiled daddy's boy to a slave, to a prisoner, to the second most powerful man in the known world, to a hero that's saving the lives of countless thousands, to someone that keeps the mission of his family to bless the world going. Because if you think about it, in that moment, after all that Joseph has been through, I mean, I think that's, that's like a lifetime of therapy to work out some of those issues. I mean, that's a lot of stuff to have to process. But in the midst of it, I think Joseph knows who he is, and he embraces who God has called him to be. He recognizes it. He says, guys, you meant it for evil, but, but God meant it for good. God had a plan here. God had a plan to, to, to save these people during this time of famine. God had a plan to bring us back together again. You know, you, what you meant for harm, God was at work. And, and I get that. I think if Joseph could unpack that more, he'd say something like, you know, but it doesn't mean that it hurt any less. It doesn't mean that seeing you today has, has brought back so much of that pain and those memories. But, but deep down in my identity, recognizing who I am, I understand that God was, was in this, that God meant it for good. And I think in that moment, Joseph then had a choice what he was going to do. And Joseph chooses to forgive. 
And here's why this is so important to understand why Joseph grasping his true identity has such a knock-on effect. Because I think in and of itself, it's wonderful that Joseph was able to get there. But listen to how it plays out in history. Because I don't think this is just a story about forgiveness. It's not just a story about a a single family reuniting and then getting back together through some God-led providence. I think this story of Joseph is your story. I think this is my story. I think this is our story. Let me explain what I mean by this. You see, what God was doing in Joseph's story, just in the life of Joseph himself, was helping to put God's family back together. What God was doing in the life of Joseph was actually helping to put God's family back together. You know, maybe you're familiar with the story of Joseph, but maybe you've never thought about it from this point of view before. Because you see, this one family, Joseph's family, is where the entire nation of Israel comes from. This one family is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 brothers led the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the the rest of the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible is built upon these tribes. Joseph's choice to forgive his family, Joseph's choice to reconcile with his brothers, it has an incredible knock-on effect that still impacts us this morning. And let let me explain how. You see, when Joseph's family arrives in Egypt to join him, when they finally find out who he is and they're all invited to come and be with Joseph in Egypt, there are around 70 of them. Seven zero, 70 of them. You know, as historians who have studied the Bible and studied history will tell us that 430 years later, so 430 years after the time of this family with Joseph, we now discover that these Israelite people, they've grown to 3 million. 3 million Israelites now living in Egypt as slaves living in Egypt as slaves. And this is where Moses comes along because God hears the cries of the people and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And from that point, the Israelites are are delivered from Egypt and they cross the the sea and they get into the wilderness and then they find themselves in the promised land and then as a nation, they start to grow and as a community, they start to grow. And all of this happens because Joseph is willing to reconcile with his brothers. Think of the impact that had on history. Joseph was in a position where he could punish his family. He could have excommunicated them. He could have got revenge. He could have had them killed. And to be honest, I don't think we would blame him. Seeing what they'd put him through, I think we'd feel that he was justified in doing it. But this wasn't Joseph's identity. Joseph knew the importance of being part of this particular family. I think Joseph probably grew up hearing stories from his great-grandfather Abraham talking about the the blessing that was upon this family, the blessing that was going to be upon the descendants of this family. And just deep down inside of him, he knew that no matter what, God had a plan for this particular family. So he was willing to take the higher ground to do the right thing because Joseph knew the importance of this family. So closing out this series by looking at our identity as followers of Jesus, I want to talk about that idea of connecting as family. Not just our own immediate family, but I'm talking about the bigger family of God here. 
Because you see, this didn't just lead to the birth of Israel. We read throughout the Old Testament that this nation grew in power and influence over the next thousand years, and it set the foundation for what God would use to describe his community, his people, his family. And it continues on into and after the life of Jesus. The Apostle Peter and Paul both talk about God's family as the church, as the gathering of believers. Listen to what they say. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.17. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. And then Paul, he's writing to the Galatians. He says in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see, Jesus draws all people to himself, regardless of ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic standing. And he draws them to himself, and he calls this gathering the church. Jesus says the church is his family. And the church is the spiritual family of all who believe. This continues on from, from those original brothers all the way through Israel, now to the New Testament, when Jesus says, you are a part of this family. As a Christ follower, if you're here this morning, if you're here and you've made a decision to follow Jesus, if, if you're um, living your life following him, then your identity is that you are part of a family. A family that meets right now in a middle school in Washington, Illinois. But it's part of a, a greater family that's meeting in other schools and theaters and churches and, and buildings across this planet. You see, the church is meant to be your spiritual family. It's, it's, it's such a tight family that he actually, Jesus describes it as the body of Christ. You know, there's nothing like a family when family is working right. It could be the most beautiful thing on the planet. We are family. <laughs> Every time I say that, I want to carry on singing. I've got all my sisters in me. We are, we are family here this morning. You can hum that as you go home just to uh, help you remember what we talked about. And don't miss this. The Bible doesn't say we're like a family. It says we are one. We are the church and we are family. So what does this look like for us this morning? As we close out this series on identity, what does this look like for us as we step into this identity of being a part of this family? Well, I think it's kind of simple. I think there's just a couple of things that, that really would help us figure this out this morning. The first is if we really want to be a part of this family, if we, if we recognize this gathering this morning as, as family and we want to be a part of this family, then I think the first thing we do is we get connected. The first step, the first key is to get connected. To get connected to your church family. Now, I know that maybe some of you are hesitant to let anybody get close enough to you from church like, like they are family. I mean, for one thing, do you remember this guy? Yeah. That's Cousin Eddie. And I think that scares anyone when we're thinking about family. It's like, but what if there's a, a Cousin Eddie? And the truth is there are plenty of Cousin Eddies in every church. You know who you are. 
Well, maybe you don't, but we know who you are, okay? There's always going to be a cousin there. There'll be someone who, well, what if I don't connect with this person? Or what if I don't go there? But you know what? Here's the thing. Like family, the church is made up of so many different people. This means that sometimes getting connected can be more of a challenge, but it doesn't mean it's not vital for you and for the life and for the health of this church. I believe that the church is a place to get connected, to feel like you are part of a family. Now, we set ourselves up a little bit here about 18 months ago, and we sat down um, to come up with the name of this church. You know, we thought about, you know, maybe it could be the Wave and Smile Church. <laughs> come in, wave, smile, see ya. <laughs> Maybe we could be the, you know, get mildly acquainted church. But no, we chose to go with Connect Church, which has set us up a little bit because if we're not finding ways to help you feel like you are connected to Christ first and foremost, but then connected to one another, we're kind of missing who we are. Connect Church. You know, last week was such a great week for me. If you got to be here last week, we, um, we, we had that service outside and we were under the tent. And we've done things like this before, but um, we started cooking some burgers and some brats and we had um, root beer in kegs and we had some incredible mac and cheese from the wonderful people at um, Prep Freeze Cook. Is that right? I had to ask Casey this morning. I couldn't remember what order they went in. It's like prep first, right? Yeah. Casey's like, you prep the food, you freeze the food, you cook the food. It's pretty obvious. But anyway, prep, freeze, cook. They, they donated some beautiful mac and cheese. And, and, and this amazing thing happened last week. We sat out there and we got the food and people hung around. People who didn't already have prior commitments, they stayed and they, they ate together and they, they sat with other people. And I sat there looking at it thinking, wow. As a church, this is, this is really awesome because it's, it's kind of like a family gathering out here. People are enjoying each other's company and visiting with one another. And it was just a really cool moment. And I felt like in our 18 months as a church so far, it was one of the, the highlights of seeing people really connecting, really feeling like I, I'm starting to feel like family here. I, I'm starting to open up a little bit more. I'm starting to let people get to know me a bit better. I, I feel comfortable calling this church part of my family. Now, we'll caution you on that because from the the very beginning, our desire and our vision and our goal as a church was to reach people that maybe don't have a church of their own. Reach people who maybe they grew up in church, but they don't attend anymore, or maybe they've got no church experience whatsoever. And the danger is that when we really get the, the hang of this family thing, we can actually, if we're not careful, become a little bit inward focused, can't we? We can kind of get so connected to one another that we enjoy each other's company so much that when someone new comes in, we're kind of, you know, we, there's not room for you. We're all hanging out here. We, we, we're all family. And I don't want that to happen because our goal is still the same 18 months later that we, we are expecting every Sunday new people to come to connect. We're expecting new people to come along and to hear about Jesus and the wonderful identity, the wonderful plan he has for their lives. And I don't want them to ever come and feel like they can't connect here because it's like everyone else is already part of this big family. So I want us to, to strive to be this family that, that connects with one another, but at the same time has, has arms wide open to bring anyone else in to that family experience. And I felt like last Sunday, we really got to experience that. But the truth is, we can't afford to get hot dogs and burgers every week. So we're going to have to find other ways to get connected. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, I would like to get more connected. I would like to be more of the family. I don't want to just show up on a Sunday, grab a donut, grab some coffee, sit there for an hour and then leave. And, and no one even knew I was there. I want to know what it feels like to be more connected. You know, the two the two, the two best ways to get connected here at Connect 
are through serving and through small groups. And we've created both those opportunities for that reason because we want people to, to feel connected and, and to get to know one another. And, and maybe you're, you've been coming on a regular basis, but you've not got involved in, in either one of those areas yet. Please stop and see Josh on the way out. He'll be by that TV, the Connect Point. He can take your name. He can tell you about different opportunities that are available to serve. He can tell you about different small groups that you can join. And we want you to feel like you're getting more connected. Because I think that's the first step for us this morning, to step into that identity of family, is to get connected. So here's the second idea I want to share with you this morning. It's not just getting connected, it's staying connected. It's not just getting connected, it's staying connected. And here's what I mean by that. Did you know that sometimes in families, like regular families I'm talking about here, so in your families, sometimes family members can have disagreements with one another. Do you know that? I know you're sitting there thinking, really? I can't imagine that. I, my family and my extended family, we always get along. Never a harsh word said. Well, I want to tell you that in some families, there are often disagreements. Maybe the brother-in-law did that one thing again, and it's like, oh, if he does that again, it's going to tell you. You better speak to your brother because he drives me nuts when he does that. Or, or maybe the mother-in-law, you know, she, she's, she says, oh, I, I see your parenting this way. You know, when I was a parent, you know, it's like your mother-in-law. And, uh, and these disagreements happen. You've got to be careful because if you laugh too out loud, the mother-in-law, what are you laughing at? Why is that funny? <laughs> now, there are two things you can do with that. When that tension builds, when that conflict happens in a family, there are two things you can do. You can resolve it. You can get together and have a chat and say, hey, you know what? When you say that, it kind of bugs me. You know, when this happens. Or you can not resolve it. Those are always fun Christmases and Thanksgivings, aren't they? When, uh, when everyone knows it's there and you're sat around the table like, hey, happy Christmas. I hate you. So, um, but you have two choices. You resolve it or you don't resolve it. Do you know what choice you don't have? To just leave the family. That's it. I've had enough. That, your mother-in-law, she did that again. I'm out of here. In fact, I've, I've got online. I've, I've found this website. It's motherinlaw.com where you can actually get a new mother-in-law. And uh, I've applied and I found a really great one. We've been chatting backwards and forwards and she seems really nice and she's told us that she's quite happy to come in and, and take over from your mother. So some of you are like, actually, that's a good idea. No, that's a terrible idea. That wouldn't be a good thing, okay? Family's family. And it's not an option to just get up and leave because conflict happens. But here's the thing. If we were to think of, of being a part of a church as a family, then it shouldn't be an option for our church family either. In the same way that you can't just up and leave your family if one of them happens to upset you or something goes wrong, that should be the case in the church. But sadly, because many don't see the church like family, that's exactly what happens. So they may get connected, but they don't stay connected because something happens, a ripple, whatever it may be, a conflict, something upsets them. And instead of just getting connected, they don't stay connected. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've been burned by being a part of God's family in the past. Maybe you've been a part of God's family in another church setting and something's happened. Somebody gossiped about you or they hurt you or they betrayed you. Do you know, I'll often meet people who'll tell me that they've been hurt by the church. But as I dig deeper, I discover that actually what's happened is they've been hurt by someone in the church. Someone has said something or done something or treated them in such a way that's hurt them. And I understand that. And it saddens me to hear that. And maybe because of that, you've walked away from a church and you find yourselves here this morning. Listen, if you're here because someone upset you at a previous church, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. 
there's a chance that someone here will upset you as well. In fact, there's a strong chance it will be me, okay? If you like American football, I'm probably going to upset you at some point when I talk about my love of soccer, okay? Uh, It may be something simple, but it may be something bigger than that. But here's the thing. The key to family isn't just getting connected. It's staying connected. It's being willing to, to resolve that conflict, to work through that conflict. Because here's what I want you to do. Whenever you face conflict in this family, if you've come to a point where you've, you've decided that Connect is, is your home church, that if you had to check a box on a form and say, you know, where, do you attend church regularly? If so, where? And you wrote the words, Connect Church. Then I want to challenge you to say then, then don't just think of it as a church, a place I go on Sunday. Think of it as, as your identity, as a family that you've become a part of. And if, or maybe when, something happens in this family that causes problems, that maybe upsets you, that maybe causes you to feel um, disappointed or upset, just ask yourself a question. But did they throw me into a pit and sell me into slavery? Okay, when that person upsets you, ask yourself, did they throw you into a pit and sell you into slavery? Well, no, but I mean, it was as bad as. Let me tell you what they did. It felt like that. No. Whatever they did, they probably didn't throw you into a pit and sell you into slavery because that's what Joseph's family did to him. And yet Joseph sets this example and says, my identity as a follower of God won't allow me. Yes, I was mad. Yes, I was upset. But but I feel for the sake of this family that I believe God has said will bless generations to come, I've got to take the higher ground. I've got to resolve this conflict. I've got to forgive I know that you meant it for good. That's what I love about that verse. Joseph doesn't say, you know, what you did turned out to be bad. What you did accidentally hurt me. No, he says, what you did meant me was meant for harm. I didn't fall into that pit by accident. You threw me in there. But God meant it for good. God had a plan. So because of that, I'm able to, to forgive and to reconcile and to move through this. That's what Joseph faced in his family And his identity in God took him to a place of reconciliation, the result of which still impacts us today. He helped create the community that God had in mind from the very beginning that we are still a part of today. So let me finish with this challenge. You know, we are called to be family to one another. And it's not just so that we can have the support and encouragement and camaraderie that you feel as part of a local church, all of which are fantastic and and all of which are a great blessing, I feel, as being a part of God's family. But I think the world needs us to be a family to each other. I think we are blessed to be a blessing. And we get to play a bigger role in that when we do it together as a family. I think the difference God has made in our lives can affect the world in which we live. And when we link arms and do that as a family, we can do even more. You see, Jesus said something that the more I think about it, the more it strikes me just how high the stakes are on this particular subject. You know, we could talk this morning about the best way to reach people that don't know Jesus. You know, there are a lot of good methods out there. There's a lot of good um, strategies that different um, church leaders and evangelists use to reach people. And some work really well in this environment and some work better in this environment. And this works here and this works here. But listen to what Jesus said. Do you want to know a way to reach everyone? Do you want to know a way that will impact 
everyone, not just a certain group of people. He says, everyone will know that you are my disciples because of your love for each other. Jesus says, you want to know a way that everyone will know that you're my disciples? Here it is. It's your love for one another. It's so simple. And yet sometimes those of us who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, we, we kind of forget that, that actually it's just our love for one another. Our, our demonstration of, our, uh, of how we're a family. That we're willing to work through our differences. We're willing to, to recognize that some people see things differently than us. And we can talk through that and we can resolve conflicts because we want to be part of a family that makes a difference. He said, people who are not followers of Jesus would know who we are because of how we are like family to one another. You know, as we close out this series, I want to just throw out one last thought to you. When we talk about identity theft, when we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and maybe over the last few weeks as we've talked about being an alien or being an overcomer, or even this morning being, being more like family, for, for you as a follower of Jesus this morning, you're like, ah, I get that, and I want to be more like that, but man, that's, there's still this that's in the way, and I still struggle at times with this, and here's all I'm asking of you. As we close out this series, if that's something that you desire, would you just pray and say, God, would you help me step more into my identity? God, would you give me the strength? Would you help me do whatever it takes as I, as I come to, to church every week, as I pray? As I read my Bible and I read more about Jesus and I try to live my life inspired by the way he lived his, live my life following the teachings that he laid out so clearly in, in the New Testament, would you help me find my true identity? Because you may not see it happen overnight, but I believe if that's your prayer, I believe if that's your desire, if you're saying, God, I need your help to do this, then bit by bit you're going to see it happen. And what you'll see happen Maybe a month from now, six months, a year, maybe two years from now. But what you'll see happen is you'll find yourself in a place where you'll suddenly see the way you responded is very different to the way you responded sometime before. I have to wonder if that, that teenager who's spoiled by his dad stood there in front of his brothers and thought, you know what? I'm a very different person now. I'm able to forgive because God's done a lot in my life over the last years. And I'm able to come to this point of reconciliation. I think it's that desire of saying, God, help me to discover my identity. Help me to discover who I am in you. And give me the strength and the courage and the determination to strive for that. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all here this morning, Lord. I just, I love how um, as we continue to grow as a church, I, I see more and more people opening up and connecting more as family and willing to be transparent and vulnerable and, and share struggles and share weaknesses and realize that none of us here are perfect and we don't need to put on our church face to come in here. We can be real with one another because we're all on this journey trying to become more like you, Jesus. And Father, sometimes it's just as simple as just making that decision saying, God, I want to find my identity in you. Because God, we may think it's just a small victory when we do that and we realize that we're living a bit differently than we used to. But as we've learned from Joseph this morning, what he thought was just a small victory in his life, in his family, 
actually had repercussions that we still are, are reaping today as part of your community, your family. We can trace all of that back to that first, those 12 tribes of, of Israel, the beginning of that community because of Joseph's choice to do what was right. So help us, Lord, to live into the identity and the purpose and the destiny that you have for our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.